0: You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.
1: Welcome to Critical Mass Business Talk Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and boy, do we have a good show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because my good friend, Dr. Chip Espinoza, is our guest. He is the dean of strategy and innovation for Vanguard University. Chip, welcome to the program.
0: Well, thanks. Great to be with you again. And I want to thank you just right up front. You were an early adopter of my work and had me on your program, and really gave me exposure in the very beginning. So I'll always be grateful for that. And that was many
1: years ago. My friend. <laughs> it was. Here we are.
0: Now going back at it. So
1: let's start with your latest role as the Dean of Strategy and Innovation at Vanguard. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing?
0: Yeah. My role really is to go in and, and to say, well, first of all, I've seen peer institutions of ours have different growth seasons, exponential growth. And our institution has been solid, but it hasn't had that that jump. So we're looking at things of how do we get momentum and how do we make that transition and have that exponential growth? And so part of my job is to look at strategies, to look at processes, to look at systems, to say, what are the barriers to that? And what do we need to do to overcome them? And so from from that part of my job, uh, I'm, of course, you know, my personal mission statement is helping organizations become worthy of human habitation. So when I look at my role there, I start really with the people strategy. Is it, what are we doing? Can we be a preferred employer of Orange County? Is this a place where people will recommend other people to work? And so that's kind of where I I came in and I started. And I came up with what, we're, we're a private Christian university. And so I came up with what I called the Vanguard One Another Tudes. And so the first one was to, appreciate one another. The second one was to listen to another. The other one was to help each other be, to help the other become a success. And the fourth one was to have fun with each other, while we're doing the first three. And so part of that also extends into program innovation, looking at what are centers that we would want to have at the university. And so we're looking at, uh, we have the Jesse Miranda Center for Hispanic Leadership. We have global women's center that really deals a lot with uh, anti-human trafficking, looking at the homeless population, particularly in Costa Mesa and saying, can we have a center for homeless studies? So those are all the things, it's fun, I enjoy it. So that's what I do there and um, love it. So tell me about the
1: student population at Vanguard University.
0: Well, we're a minority majority university so we're 59% minority. And we're what you call a Hispanic-serving institution, meaning over 25% of your student body is Hispanic. And so it's, it's been fascinating. And for us, it's, it's kind of neat, is we've grown in this area and kind of become a model institution across the country for private uh, universities of serving the Hispanic population. So as we've done that, what we've seen is growth in our student body. We've seen growth really in the diversity in our, our culture and campus. And we've also witnessed uh, really a continual growth in the GPA of the students we're attracting. And so it's it's been a neat. And like I said, I think it's finally our season to make that exponential leap.
1: So you have both strategy and innovation as your charge. It's in your title. Uh, do those two necessarily go together from your perspective? Does one require the other, and could you have strategy without focused on innovation?
0: Well, I think you can. You could divide them, but yeah, I, I think they're 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 symbiotic for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And so I have somebody that works with me who does strategy in the university. She works with every department, goes through them. What are your goals? What are your objectives? And that she's phenomenal. And so she gets in the weeds with groups that I don't. So I just get to go and watch her amazing work (laughs) and uh, sit back and just uh, share the credit. But and then on the innovation side is is that's kind of my, my thinking is innovation is something that's not really top down, I don't put the pressure on myself to come up with this next big idea. It's really about looking at what's bubbling up within your culture and your organization. So my formula really for innovation is always to find leaders within the system who are highly motivated, who have ideas and invest in them. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the trick to innovation. Of course, there's all kinds of strategies about innovation that uh, we bring to light. But really, at the end of the day, it's, it's really kind of brailing the culture and understanding who are the leaders that are stepping out and have ideas and how can we invest in them. So
1: I've known you for a number of years, Dr. Espinoza. You've always been involved in higher education at an Orange County University, but I've also had you on the show for your authorship and your study of millennials and now Gen Z. So I'm wondering from that aspect of your professional life, uh, what are you doing in that area? And give us an update on your work in the area of studying the millennial generation?
0: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I get calls when, when organizations are struggling with attracting young professionals, retaining young professionals, developing young professionals. And so a lot of times, and ironically, uh, when I started, it was the millennial generation that was coming in, in the early Mm -hmm. thousands, Right. And now it's grown into Gen Z entering the workplace, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But so when I started to look at them, what were the challenges? Well, they were perceived in really a pejorative light, the millennials. And by the way, every generation really tries to make its imprint on the workforce. And so the millennial generation coming in really wanted certain things out of work. Primarily, baby boomers been large and in charge for decades, just because of demographics. And so, what happened was they they got kind of the attempted smackdown from the baby boomers. Says, I don't understand them. You know, get in line and you know follow suit just like Gen X did. And then they found out, well, they're a big demographic. We need them. You know, we need to adapt to them. But how do we adapt? How do we understand them? So that's how I got the call initially. And I was fortunate because some of the early Companies that were trying to get at the forefront of this were like Microsoft, SaaS, mm-hmm. business software, and some of those, and and so that's really what I went in to work with them on. And then what it's grown into for me is the millennial ages is really leadership development in that population. To say, how do we develop emerging leader um, programs? How do we do succession planning in organizations? Because And this is another thing, Rick, is that it's been fun to watch the different sectors as they go through what's called demographic metabolism. So the older leaders of those organizations or sectors are aging out of leadership and younger people are coming in and replacing them. And so that's where the tension lies in strategy. That's where the tension lies in innovation. That's the tension in operational practices and so it's really helping organizations make that transition. And what I tell what I tell them is that look, you could say that demographic metabolism is not happening, but I'm sorry, it's going to happen. People are going to age out of the system. So how do we negotiate that in a way that's healthy and where there's mutual understanding? And so when we talk about the millennials shifting um, to in, into leadership, I think they're the best. Pr- prepared generations so far to to take on leadership roles. Why is that? Well, they they come out, they enter the workforce with an understanding of concepts like empowerment or empathy or you don't have to convince them to be vulnerable. (laughs) I mean, they, they're, they come out, they're more authentic about who they are. They're not pretentious. I mean, we've seen, even in a sales presentation, went from the power lunch, you know, with the briefcase and the PowerPoint and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> to now today's buyers are mostly millennials, over 70 for B2B buyers, mm-hmm. and they don't want a dog and pony show. They want to say, how fast can I get this? What do I have to pay for it? And let's not go through this pretense. And so I think part of it is... Um, And like I said, where we've had to, particularly with baby boomers, is to convince them that, hey, it's good to recognize the power in other people around you and let them use it. Mm -hmm.
1: So I was mentioning before we went on the air that I had one of my peer groups and I work with Orange County entrepreneurs, business owners and CEOs. And in the group that I had today, there were 12 there. There were two boomers, mostly Gen X. And then two millennials. So now the millennials have evolved to the point where they're owning businesses large enough to be in one of my groups. And so I know you've been kind of studying the evolution of millennials. You've written books on that. And so I'm just as you see them coming into these leadership roles, what do you think the downstream results of that are going to be?
0: Well, I think they're 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 better at collaboration for one. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see that grow as far as listening to different parts of the organization, not feeling the pressure to make all the decisions themselves. Um, I think in, in, in many ways, like I said, they're, they under, they're kind of like tweeners now. The ones that are really in leadership that have, that have grown, they have an understanding of how to get to that next level, the people in your group. Mm -hmm. They understand those older generations and how to work with them. And yet they're relevant to the younger generations coming behind them. And so I think they'll be better equipped really to work in a multi-generational because they felt the pain of that transition. And and like I said earlier to you, you know, millennials 10 years ago, they'd say, don't call me a millennial because the label was pejorative. Yes. But every generation kind of identifies itself after age 30. And so all of a sudden millennials are comfortable with it term millennial because they're able to self-define now. And so what's what's fascinating about it is they've kind of gone beyond that millennial fatigue and they're seeing the real value in their generation in what they're doing.
1: So we've been programmed uh, for so long to consider a young person in the workforce as a millennial. Right. But to your earlier point, now we're starting to see the next generation nudge into the professional workforce. Yeah. So I'm wondering, from what you're beginning to observe, can you share a little insight from your experience on millennials
0: and now Gen Z? Well, I, I like that you said beginning to see, because one of my frustrations in the space of generational research is that we look at it almost like it's marketing research. So marketing's way ahead of everybody because that's they have the money to sell stuff so when you look at marketing research it's very different than workload or workforce research and so to this point even the the if you put gen z born in 1997 even the eldest of them have been in career one or two years in a professional position so when we look at the workforce and to say what they're like i think it's a little premature now mm-hmm. to say they're different than millennials. There are aspects that are different, but how much different, we don't know. And so what I've looked at is to say, I want to help people think about every generation. What are the fundamentals to it? What are the foundational things to that conversation? That being said, in the classroom where I see Gen Z is making a shift, and it's it, and I've seen it clearly a shift from millennials, is that they're individualistic. They don't want team projects. Wow. They want to be held accountable for their own work, not for the work of others. They're more pessimistic. Millennials are very optimistic. Gen Z was more pessimistic, uh, really, and suspicious of authority figures. And, you know, they're more like their parents, Gen X, who were who pessimistic, right? Perfect. And then they want to stand out, not fit in. Wow. which is very different. right? And so when you look at uh, they're more activistic. So voice matters to them, having a say, and that's, that was the big thing about the millennial is that, hey, they're talking in the media and they've only been here you know a week. <laughs> well, get ready for Gen Z because they're, they're the millennial on steroids when it comes to activism. And then the thing that I think the baby boomers will take a big, deep breath and relief in Gen X as well is that gen z prefers a meritocracy mm. so they don't want a trophy just for showing up because they see that as fake and they see it as is not authentic or real they want to earn the trophy that they get
1: that's interesting you one of the things that you've taught me though is the impact of the generation on the larger population is somewhat indicated by the size of the Population millennials huge, boomers huge, Gen X small. What's Gen Z look like from a number? Gen
0: Z would be a little more than Gen X, but you know what we've seen in the U.S. is a decline in the birth rate, which is the first time ever over the last couple of three years, and and so in I think in Western civilization, civilization you've seen a decline in the birth rate, where. On a worldwide basis, Gen Z will be the largest generation because of Africa, India and China. However, I think the millennial generation will be the like the baby boomer and they'll be large and in charge for a long time. But you're absolutely right. When they come in, I, they're not going to be as big as the millennial generation. So there will be some adaptations. Just like with a baby boomer, you know, builders told the baby boomers when they came in the workforce, leave your problems at home. <laughs> and baby boomers have had problems, right? We HR exploded under the baby boomers. So the way that I see it is that, yeah, Gen Z is going to be, um, they're going to be different. How different? We're not sure of in the workplace yet.
1: But those are some interesting observations from seeing them at college level. So that we'll, we'll watch as that translates into the work. You know, Chip, I wanted to shift a little bit of our time here on the program today, kind of away from the expertise that you have and a little bit more on the experience that you've had, which is, uh, I know that you have faced some pretty serious health challenges. And I'm wondering, how has that colored your view or what you see about professional life or kind of messages that maybe you're delivering to groups today?
0: Yeah, I, you know, this past year, I struggled with uh, liver failure, uh, liver disease, and had a transplant five months ago, uh, to this day, wow. not to this day, but to, within this time frame. And wow. so the first thing I think, Rick, that I learned, and, and I've, and I'm writing about this now in processing it was that I'm not invincible. And I know we all say that but i really lived my life before like i was invincible i could eat anything i could drink anything i could you know right. and and you know what i'm not invincible and what it taught me was that to embrace vulnerability now i could talk about it as a concept i could talk about i can ask a room full of people what do you admire in a leader and <laughs> always on the list vulnerability but really What is vulnerability? until I really experienced it, where your kids are having to shower you, they're having to help you out of a chair, that got me to a point where I'm like going, oh, man, you know, the point I'm walking around in a hospital robe, I don't care if it's tight in the back. I've lost all sense of being And so that was one of the first things I learned. The second thing I learned was to be assertive for myself. And I think that a lot of times in leadership, we can be assertive for other people but we're not assertive for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was people aren't sitting around 24-7 thinking about how they're going to make me healthy. They're not. I'm getting five minutes here. I'm getting 15 minutes here. The issue is I had to be assertive for myself in my health. And the third thing I learned was I have to be patient. And that's that I'm not going to get out of that surgery and run a marathon the next day. It's going to take time for me to get back. So in any kind of change a leader is experiencing, we can have grandiose ideas about what's going to happen tomorrow because the lever I pulled today, but there's a sense of, of practicing patience in that time. And when I got out of surgery and I told him a week later, there's a, I did it at Cleveland Clinic. They're amazing. And so I asked the doctor, I said, there was a marathon the next week and I wanted to take my walker. And go the marathon. And he goes, are you nuts? And I said, I think that would be so cool if I could just do a mile and just think of the publicity the hospital would get. And he goes, or the complaints that we would let somebody do this. You know, well, yeah, malpractice. But I did play golf in a tournament just okay. two weeks ago. So Okay.
1: So I would imagine, without digging too deep, the recovery isn't a straight line that there's probably peaks and valleys and how you're now five months into it, the journey that you've been on of recovery.
0: Absolutely. And I'm, I'm kind of a hy- hypochondriac anyway. Okay. And so whenever they say there's a side effect to a medication, I have it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's so maybe I'm a little more difficult than most people because <laughs> I'm on that hotline going, Hey.
1: <laughs> and so are you, preparing to speak on this subject? Do you see this? as Well, it's fascinating because,
0: you know, I teach at UCLA as well. And, and so they asked me to prepare a course based on oh, that. wow! And so I did uh, a keynote for them at the kickoff for their year this fall and um, with what they call their technical manager program. And it was well, re- it was really interesting because I thought, Would people really be into this if they don't know me? It'd be like me getting up and saying on my first day of vacation, I did this on the second. (laughs) But but somehow, you know, people connected with it, whether they had a loved one or they had been through something, but just the leadership lessons that came out of it.
1: Well, I'll be interested to hear that talk. You'll have to keep us informed here on Critical Mass Business Talk Show. So maybe we can bring an audience to hear you give that talk. That sounds yeah. really valuable lessons to hear. I'd love to. Okay. Speaking of business advice, shifting gears one we'll more time here on the show. Uh, in addition to all what we've talked about, is there anything else that you've been given as a piece of advice that's been super valuable or something that you want well, to share?
0: I'm, I'm glad you asked that because... For me, my, in my graduate education, there was one sentence that a professor used that changed everything for me. Wow. And his name was Dr. Norman Shopchuk. He's no longer with us, but this is what he said. He said, people tend to support what they help to create. And so when you look at any kind of change process, if you look at any kind of hiring process where you have people, part of the creative process, they're going to own it and they're going to help it be successful.
1: Wow. That is, that's, we, I wish we had more time because that would be, that's a conversation in, in, in and of itself, into itself. So yeah, what,
0: what a gift. Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. Let's shift one more time to the future. Okay, Doctor Espinoza, we'll have you back on the show—not as long as it was since the last time, but yeah. in the future. Okay. Where are you taking your work and your research and your time and treasure? I'm, get,
0: you know, I continue to get called just on generational issues in the workforce, um, succession planning, for instance. How do we look at it creating a new lifeline in our organization? Um, how do we retain values and principles from the past that's built this? company. But how do we change our operating practices in strategies? and strategies? And a lot of that has to do with how generations work together. So I get called a lot for that still. I get called for leading change simply, uh, again, this, this shift that's going on. Family-owned businesses call me, you know, where mm-hmm. you have the family trying to pass it down and are they ready or they're not ready and having a conversation about that. And, of course, I'm, I'm looking at continuing to study Gen Z as they enter the workforce. And, and, so, and I, I have a course online that people could take if they want it, chipespinoza.com. It's, it's, it goes through really managing young professionals. So it, 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 the nomenclature, it, it applies to millennials. And I think what they call the, you know, would be the early Zs that we're seeing. It would be beneficial to help kind of go deeper into the topics that we touched on today.
1: So if someone wants to learn more about you, Dr. Chip Espinoza, obviously you suggest your website.
0: Yep. ChipEspinoza.com. There you go. And
1: uh, if they needed to spell Espinoza, how would they do that?
0: Well, it's E-S-P-I-N-O-Z-A.
1: There you go. Well, my friend, it's been too long. I really appreciate you giving up your time to share with our audience continued good health and uh, I look forward to having you back on the show in the in the future.
0: You bet. And Rick, thanks for your influence in Orange County and the many people that you touch with this program. Thank you.
1: And let's thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. <laughs> Dr. Espinosa's episode is going to join our catalog now here. And we have over 1,400 interviews in our catalog of Orange County entrepreneurs over the years. If you are an Orange County entrepreneur thought leader and you'd like to share your story on our platform, then reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. That's my LinkedIn handle. That's also our company's website, rickfranzi.com. Haley and I would be happy to speak with you about have, having you as a future guest on our program. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.